listening to another sermon podcast presented by Chelsea Presbyterian Church. Located in Chelsea, Alabama, we value community, fellowship, and love for people from all walks of life. For more information, find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook. As a continuation of our story last week, God's people, the Israelites at this point in the story, have defeated their enemies, the Philistines, and gotten the Ark of the Covenant back that had been taken from them. More than that, they're actually experiencing a spiritual renewal in their country. It's a revival that's resulting in them returning back to God. And now they're starting to do a lot of thinking. Israel is experiencing now prosperity, and they're kind of looking to the future. And they're looking back too. There's been a lot of problems that they've had up until this. Samuel, at this point, is their prophet and their judge, but his sons, as we saw last week, are unfit for leadership. They're corrupt. They're taking bribes. Uh, they're just corrupt in, in the way they lead. And now Israel is basically just questioning the whole establishment. Maybe, they think, maybe we need more than just a prophet or judges like we've had. Maybe we need something better. So with this in mind, let's jump back into the story uh, today. Uh, as we said, we're going to look at this passage. Uh, and the first thing we're going to do is just read the first paragraph, and we'll pick up the rest of the paragraphs as we work through. First Samuel 8, 4 says this, And all the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel at Ramah, and said, Behold, you are old. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel. And when he when he said when they said to him, Give us a, thing, a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people, and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, uh, use your word in our lives. Uh, may we learn from it. Help us to look at this story and apply it to what, what you would have us to see, but also to do as a result of your living word. Send your Holy Spirit upon this place. Give us wisdom, give us truth. In Jesus' name, amen. I've shared this before. I hear it a lot from people all the time. They always ask the question like, James, are you Republican or are you Democrat? I can't ever tell. And uh, honestly, like I said before, I kind of like it that way. Um, politics aside, though, here's what I do know that, that unites us all. We have a deep-rooted desire in our, in our hearts for a leader. Most of the time it comes in the form of us thinking, man, if we could just get one good president like we're just wanting someone to step up and take control of this mess. And you ever notice that every time we've elected a president, especially in the last several decades, the first thing that people begin to talk about is the next election? That's what we do as Americans. Um, we're in a constant state of discontentment. I recently read an article by a political, journal, uh, by a political journalist named uh, Michael Osmond, and he asked the question, does America need a monarchy? I mean, you talk about this idea of that idea in our country, it gets a lot of people mad, right? No, no, no. This is what we're based out of, right? Even in the beginning, the story has it that, that 
they tried to make George Washington king, and he was like, no, I'm not touching that. We're not going that again. See, America's identity as a Republican nation of citizen rulers has always been rock solid. I mean, there's nothing more that stirs people up than not just a president they don't like, but when they see abuses of power and they see the president in some way suggesting that he is in some way unelected royalty. Now he goes on to say that, though, that in, that, in that article he goes on to say this, that the last presidents especially, the presidents in general in the last few decades have tended to divide our country. And kings tend to unite countries. Now he doesn't offer any answers, of course, like any other political terms that we ever see in nowadays. They got a lot of things that they can say are problems, they don't give any answers. But they said, but here's what the bottom line was. He said the two, current two-party system can't get anything done in, our, in America and seems to be creating more problems than solutions. And if you get that, if you feel that pain of what I'm just talking about right there, then you will get the pain that the Israelites are going through at this moment in the story. So let's get back to our story. We're going to look at three points today. We're going to talk about their desire. And those three points, by the way, are in the, um, the order of worship uh, on the next page. But we're going to talk about their desire for a king. We're going to talk about the conditions of a king. And then the expectations of a king. So let's talk about that today. Let's talk about this idea of the desire for the king. This is that first paragraph that I just read with you there. Uh, verse 4, it says, All the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel at Ramah. And he said, Behold, your, they said, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel, and they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people, and that all that they say to you, they have not rejected you, they rejected me from being king over them. Now, again, the desire that we have for a leader, for that one person, for someone to be over us that will take control and help us out of the mess, like the Israelites had, is not necessarily bad. It's where you take those desires that might be bad. But think about this, why does Israel want a king? Well, the judges, including Samuel, have constantly disappointed them. And you can't blame Israel for that. They're tired of going through the same cycle. They're tired of the judges keep, what it looks like, the judges keep leading them to a bad place, especially Eli and then his sons, and then Samuel and his sons. You can't blame them for that. What you can blame them for is trusting again in a different way in humanity instead of into God. We hear this message about pe people all the time that people are basically good, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. Practically speaking, we know better than that. We all have stories of some of the best people we know letting us down. And then we act shocked by that. In spite of the fact that the Bible tells us a different story. The Bible says don't buy into the lies. Human beings will fail you, period. They always will. I don't know why we're shocked every time it happens in our lives or among our leaders. But here's what you need to think about. Why was the Israelites' demand for a king a sin? After all, Deuteronomy 17, which is a book way before the story here, God told Israel that if they wanted a king, they could have a king. 
provided that they chose someone from it, that, that was an Israelite as a ruler, and that he not trust in his own might, and that he be careful to know and do the law of God. He said, with those conditions, he was okay with them having a king. In other words, the Lord's intention to them was for Israel always to have a king, but not a king like the other nations. But that's what they wanted. A king that didn't believe in God, in, in his mind, would be the opposite of that. The nations that didn't believe in God and how they viewed leadership in that. See, God always had a king in mind, but not like what the people thought. And Samuel's about to remind them of a few things that come along with having a leader, with having a king in that way. So look at number 10. Let's look at the conditions of the king. Verse uh, 10 there. He says this. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of a king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and he will appoint them as chariots to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. Which basically means putting them on the front lines ahead of himself. Verse 12, it says, He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, to make his implements of war and to his equipment of his chariots. He will take their daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain in your vineyards and give them to his officers and servants. Look at verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there will be a king over us, that we also will be like the other nations, and that our king may judge us and go out to fight our battles for us. When Samuel had heard all the things of the people, words of the people, he repeated them to the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice. Make them a king. And Samuel then said to the people of Israel, Go every man to his own city. Check this out. The people were asking for a king to fight their battles. Yet God was the only leader in the history of Israel that ever consistently fought for Israel. Here's another thing they didn't understand. Having God as the leader of battle didn't mean that they couldn't have a human king who would guide Israel into warfare as long as that human king trusted in God. It wasn't either or. They were seen it the other way. But that's not the kind of ruler that they wanted. See, that was too vague for them. The idea of saying, don't worry about that leader. God is your leader. It was too vague for them. They're like, no, no, no. We want to see it. We want to see the glory of it. They wanted a king to show his own power and his strength, the size of his royal court, the size of his army, the size of his glory. And Samuel warned to them that having such a good a king like that would not be good for the nation. It comes with a cost, economically and by way of manpower. But they ignored him and demanded a king anyway. But, but look how God responded. So interesting. He told Samuel to listen to the people and to appoint them a king. Why? Why would God ever allow something that's not good for us in our lives? Well, here's what you always have to remember. Sometimes God shows his good judgment by allowing the people to have just what they want, even if it's not good for them. 
this is not the greatest analogy in the world, but it reminds me of when growing up when, um, you know, and you all heard stories of this, I don't know how many of them are true, where, where the boys are sneaking around smoking cigarettes, uh, and then the, the dad, what does he do? He goes and buys a pack of cigarettes and says, you're going to sit there and you're going to smoke every one of them, and always in with the kid getting sick and throwing up. I always thought, well, what might happen if the kid at the end was like, hey, I'll take another pack of those. You know, <laughs> what happens to that story? But, but, but that's the idea, right? Uh, getting sick. And like, why would a dad do that? And, and in their mind, they're like, for their own good. Now, like I said, it's not the best analogy in the world, but you get what I said. Sometimes God allows us to have the exact thing that we want that sometimes will remind us that we really don't want it or that what we really want is something better. Let me repeat that. Sometimes God allows us to have the exact thing that we want to remind us that we really don't want it or didn't want it much as we thought we did or to remind us that, that we want something better than that of what we actually thought we wanted. It's a form of discipline in us, there's no doubt about it, but it's not because he, he, he wants to punish us, it's because he loves us and wants us to point, be pointed to something better. And the crazy thing to the whole thing is John, uh, uh, God and uh, Samuel showed great humility and resilience and grace in allowing them to make their, Israel to make their own choices uh, and to learn from those consequences. The Bible tells us, and we see this as a pattern, sometimes that he will hand people over even to sin that they want to pursue to teach them not to pursue it. He's doing that in the story. People are demanding a king, and God's about to give them a king. And this is a good lesson that sometimes in our hearts we're going to run after things that are not good for us. And God may allow us to run after those things and allow the suffering that follows those things, not out of spite, out of love. Some of us are hard-headed like me. We've got, to have, we've got to learn that way. We can't be told any other way. God says, Samuel, do what they want. Give them a king. So here we go. Brand new chapter. Up until this point, Israel's never had a king in the history of the Bible. We're about to see a monarchy established and what happens is that. So let's look at the third one, the expectations of a king. And there is a man in Benjamin. This is chapter 9 there. A uh, man in Benjamin whose name, was Kish, uh, whose name was Kish, and he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel that was more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the, of the other people. And Samuel took a flask of oil, and he poured it on his head, and he kissed him, and he said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be the prince over his people Israel? You notice the word he used there, prince, son of king? It's interesting. Uh, you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and, he, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over this heritage. Verse 25. And Samuel told the people the rights and the duties of kingship, basically saying, this is what you can expect from the king. I'm telling you what the king's going to ask from you. Here's what you can expect from the king. Here's the rights and duties of that. And he, he wrote them in a book, and he laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one their own home. Saul, the new king, went to his home in Gibeon, and with him the valor, with men of valor whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows say, how can this man save us? 
They despised him and they, they brought him no present, but he held him as peace, meaning Saul held his peace. Look at verse 12. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is this who said, Saul shall not reign over us, or shall Saul reign over us? Bring those men and we'll put them to death. But Saul said this, Not a man will be put to death this day. For today the world and the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. And then Samuel the prophet said to the people, Let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal. There they made Saul king before the prophet in Gilgal. And they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord. And Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. What a story, huh? We've been through a lot of stuff today. Think about this. This guy, the first King Saul, looks good. I mean, he looks really good in a lot of different ways. He's a man's man, for one. And he's wise. I mean, he's someone that you... Uh, you ever met some of these people that you're like, man, I want to be, if they weren't so nice, I would be jealous of them. Like, this is what we're talking about with Saul. The guys, uh, everybody would find security around. The lady would say, yeah, he's a looker. Uh, the guys would say, man, I want, I want to have my back in a bar fight. Um, he's a quintessential man. God gave them everything he wanted. He didn't hold back. He allowed them to have everything, the paragon of a man. But then there's other people that are suspicious and they're saying, I'm not going to pay homage to that guy. I'm not bowing down. Now, he didn't say these are smart people. He said they're worthless men. Now, I don't know if they were insecure, which they probably were, or they had other motives that I'm not going to, I don't want to bow down to anybody anyway. I don't know. But guess what? Saul doesn't care. He knows about these people and say, I ain't bowing down to you. And, and they're saying, let's go kill him. Saul's like, no, no, no. We're not going to do that. I mean, he receives it with humility and grace. He looks like the perfect male, the perfect husband, the guy that you want to be friends with, but most of all, the perfect leader and the perfect king. He checked all the boxes. He looks like the perfect guy's job. We'll see. As we said from the beginning of the story today, one of the most suspicious people was Samuel. Samuel's warning to Israel could serve as a warning to us uh, about our, our leaders, about our nation, about our businesses that we, we have, even our churches and our schools in today's world. In today's world we live in, just like the past, people tend to abuse power. And we can be suspect of that because we know what happens in that. We have to adjust for that in the world, but at the same time we try to change things, knowing that we might do the same thing as a Saul or a Samuel or the nation of Israel. Let me remind you of this. The desire for a king is good. If, if it actually points to the king of kings. The perfect king. The king that we've always wanted. See, other leaders in your life, I don't care who they are, and how big of a position they have or how small a position. Leaders in your life, including me as your pastor, are going to fail you and they're going to disappoint you. But God presents us with a different kind of king and a different kind of mentality. A king that's sacrificial and benevolent. The real king that puts himself on the front lines to fight our battles. Who did, actually, to the death to give us real freedom. And you know where I'm going with this. That's exactly what Jesus did. 
the king of glory who came as a servant leader who died an agonizing death that we deserve so we can have a beautiful life that we didn't deserve without taxing us, without asking anything from us, except for just our allegiance and resting in his word. It's the best kind of king, the king that we've always wanted. Jesus, let's pray. Father God, we are hopefully at this point grateful that we don't have to depend on our president. We don't have to depend on our spouses. We don't have to depend on uh, the, the pastor or other people in the church or the mayor or whoever. We don't have to depend, ultimately depend on them for our satisfaction or to be the person that our hearts ultimately desire because you've already given us that person. Help us to see that. Help us to uh, be satisfied in that. Learn, you know, send, send your Holy Spirit into our lives that we may know what that looks like and not be like the Israelites to think, God, that's just too vague. Lord, help us to understand how every desire we have, not just for a king, but for love and belonging and, and being saved and rescued out of situations that there's only one place to go with that that's really going to make that big of a difference. And that's in your son Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. We want to remind our listeners that our doors are always open at Chelsea Presbyterian Church. And we invite all our listeners to join us for worship. You can visit us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at Chelsea Middle School. To hear more of our sermons from our church or for more information, you can find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook.